I always had that mindset of I need to create something that's so streamlined, easy to use, and automated that I don't need to hold hands for people to adopt this platform. It's about an exchange of value and creating positive value for the world. We're building a, a culture that's very positive, inclusive. Folks want to work at Vercel day in and day out and, and enjoy it. And we continue to invest in our roots of open source. From GGV, this is Founder Real Talk, where we get real about the challenges that founders and startup executives face and how they've grown from tough experiences. I'm your host, Glenn Solomon. Without further ado, here's today's episode. On today's episode of Founder Real Talk, I'm joined by my colleague, Oren Younger. Hey, uh, hey, Oren. Hey, Glenn. Super excited for this. Me too. We're really excited. We're welcoming Guillermo Rauch to the show. Guillermo is the creator and primary author of Next.js, the popular open source front end web development framework that powers many of the world's leading websites and web applications. And Guillermo is also the founder and CEO of Vercel a cloud platform that utilizes Next.js and other technologies to enable front-end developers to host websites and web applications that are easily previewed, deploy instantly at the edge, and scale automatically. Guillermo is a self-taught software engineer, and he began working with computers at a really young age in his home country of Argentina. He co-founded LearnBoost and CloudUp and created many other open-source libraries before co-founding Vercel in 2015. Since then, Vercel has been adopted by startups and major companies alike, including Hulu, Airbnb, and TripAdvisor. And it's quickly proving itself to be the new standard for front-end web development. GGV is a proud investor in Vercel, and we recently led the Series D financing, which brought Vercel's valuation to $2.5 billion. We're excited to speak to Guillermo about his early obsession with web development, and the importance of using building blocks to create something even bigger. Guillermo, it's really exciting to have you. Welcome to Founder Real Talk. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Awesome. So we're going to start um, with your early days. You know, you you took to software development and JavaScript when you were like 10 or 11 years old. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was it about you know web development that that had you so interested and enthralled from an early age? I think all these themes of open source, learning software development, joining communities and collaborating with others, especially strangers over the internet, those themes that are so important to us still as we build this company were all present in how I learned about the web and how I learned to code. And some of the things around web development that are still exciting today are the things that really propelled my career, like being able to fork software edit it easily, uh, use open source, deploy to the, to the web and share a hyperlink with, with everybody and, and say, hey, this is my work. Those were some of the things that early on in my career allowed me to go from living in the outskirts of Buenos Aires, where I was just a kid, to learning and working online with a huge community of developers that were motivated by the same things I was, I was into. Super cool. Speaking of open source, you've built a ton of it, uh, specifically uh, those projects Socket.io and, and Moongoose. Uh, where, where did your interest in, in open source start? And, you know, what on, on what projects did you work besides these ones? And, and perhaps, you know, how did where did the ideas for your own project come from? 
Yeah, since the very beginning, open source was, okay, I, I don't know exactly how it all works, but I can download a bunch of code from the internet and modify it and use it to solve real world needs that I had. I think that's what's most exciting about the web is this idea of you can get to the substance of working on content or products with a very, very, very low barrier to entry. So my approach to open source was I have to solve obstacles that I have along the way to try to create products. So very early on, I found this challenge of, okay, I have to improve this data layer, this ORM that I was working with at the time. This was for a PHP framework way, way back in the day. If it was closed source, I would have been like, okay, email support and try to get a paid license to try and, and hope that the developers will improve it. Because it was open source, one of the very, very earliest things that I did was create a plugin for it that improved this piece of software and put it online. Later on, what really, really captivated my imagination was I found that there was a subset of code in a specific programming language that could do things that no other language could do. And this was JavaScript and being able to do things on the front end of a website. Mm. I remember being captivated by it because it was like, it doesn't matter you know, you could know a lot of Java, you could know a lot of C, but if you want to make a website that really stands out, that is really interactive, real-time, animated, works offline, any, anything you could imagine on the front side of the website, you had to learn JavaScript. You had to master JavaScript. So that's what really took off for me. I started focusing a lot on JS. I would try to add it to whatever project I had, uh, anything you would hire me for, I would just sprinkle JS on the front end. And then started realizing that all the toolkits, libraries, and components, and frameworks, they simply weren't there. Uh, this was all being kind of hacked together. It was growing very organically, just like JavaScript was added to the original browser Netscape. It was, it was all very organic and quick. Uh, it resembled more biological evolution than, you know, plant careful design. Hmm. So... I started wanted to make a lot of these things that I was doing for my clients and, and for myself a lot more ergonomic, a lot more automatic. I wanted to start new projects from a higher level of abstraction. So projects like Socket.io and Mongoose, a lot of the things that I did back in the day for server-side JavaScript with Node.js were all just incarnations of this idea of I want to move faster and I want to have higher level infrastructure to solve real world problems. That's awesome. It's, it's, you know, connecting from a hobby to solving real, real world problems. Um, this is specifically not, not your first rodeo as a founder and you co-founded LearnBoost and CloudUp. Um, tell us a little bit more about uh, LearnBoost and how did these past experiences shape your current approach to adverse cell? Yeah, for sure. So one of the things that LearnBoost that I was really obsessed with because I was I was a young CTO and we had a very small team was iteration velocity. The product was in the ad tech space, but we didn't quite know what features were going to resonate the most with our audience of global teachers, ed educators, and parents. So one of the things that I would work on at the beginning of setting up these projects was really streamlined, iterative deployment infrastructure. I was really proud that I had created a system that allowed us to preview every single commit that would go into Git. 
you would just navigate to the site and select your commit and boom, you could experience the entire website. And I created that kind of as a side quest, you could argue. Our, our main quest was we have to create extraordinary software for educators. But that tooling, that infrastructure, that, uh, that set of things that would motivate the developer and make them be in the flow, in the zone more, where I think kind of the things that, you know, defined the, the process of iteration, defined how good it felt to work on this project. So that to me was a, a, a key ingredient. If we're going to succeed, we have to do that. So looking back, I think I wanted to retain that uh, part of, of what had made us have some, some early traction and give it to everybody in the world. At the time, like I was so obsessed with dev tools that I was spending a, a non-trivial amount of cycles obsessing about and thinking about like what's going to make the best possible experience. But then later on with Vercel, I decided to you know t- take this leap of faith into can I make this dev tools and this infrastructure that was so unique and special the core focus of, of my life thereafter. And uh, it obviously ended up working out quite well for us. Uh, and at LearnBoost, the other thing that we did that was really cool is we were uh, uh, some of the earliest adopters of what I, I called at the time universal JavaScript. We're running JavaScript on the front end, which, as I mentioned earlier, is sort of the lingua franca there. But we're also running it on the server. So our developers only had to really master one language. There was no context switch. I went on to write a book about this called Universal JavaScript. Uh, and obviously, that was ahead of its time. We ended up selling our company to WordPress, who was really interested in investing in, their, in the future of their JS infrastructure for their, for their admin, uh, and also investing in real-time communication services. So it was a good fit, uh, taught me a lot, and then kind of gave me that launch pad into, into my next thing, which became Vercel. So yeah, we want to, we want to pick up now on the Vercel story and and start by asking about Next.js because it's such an important um, piece of the puzzle here at at uh, at Vercel. Um, it's built on React, and you know it's become wildly popular um, with in the front end development community as a framework. Was there like an aha moment for you um, when you decided hey, I I need to build this? Um, and, uh, and, and that led you to, to do it or, you know, what was the, was there a motivator or some sort of vision that got you excited about building Next.js? And, um, just curious about if you could talk to us about the early days of Next.js, like what, what led you to, to do it, how you got it going, were you surprised by how amazingly big <laughs> it's become as a community? Uh, and then we'll talk about how it links to Vercel. Yeah, for sure. The story there is is really fascinating. When I was at WordPress, I saw firsthand that scaling and adopting JavaScript as the engine of your front end for really large companies was a mighty challenge. The default that sort of every established company would go toward at the time was we're going to build our own framework. And the other thing I was missing, it was not just that like building a framework is hard, there was no standard for how to share components in the web. We, we, we have all the language primitives that every language implements, like strings, arrays, and things like that. 
But as a front-end person that's very close to the product, that's very close to the UI, that's very close to the design, we missed that, that fabric of, of what I now call the Lego bricks for adults, which that's where React really resonated uh, with the world, I think. It's like, okay, like the language is not enough. We have to extend it with this other layer that, that gives you this... Uh, this fabric where all the pieces fit in and you, and you can share these pieces across teams, companies, the entire world in open source. So I, I quit WordPress uh, after, after a good run. And I was like, okay, I have to build on top of this. To me, it felt like a discovery more so than an invention. It was like, okay, uh, uh, you know, like I have electricity now. <laughs> I have to build a TV or something. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to start a company. I'm an immigrant. I love entrepreneurship. I love freedom. I love creation. So I was like, okay, have to build a company. And then I, I think one of the critical early events was I knew that I wanted to build a really slick developer-oriented landing page. And what I mean by developer-oriented, like it has to look cool for developers. Is is the design language has to be what I would like as a developer. And I knew that I was okay. I'm gonna use this new electricity, this new React thing. And then I spent weeks literally trying to configure compilers and bundlers and doing the product optimizations and, and all these bits and pieces that at the end of the day, I wanted to create a page. So it's cool to have a component engine. Like it's, it's cool to be able to build widgets, but what is it that we really want to ship? I think by and large, especially for everyone building on the web, we're basically just shipping pages, right? So that was the starting point for Next.js. Next.js is a framework and the fundamental primitive that it operates on is the, is the page. So that was on one hand. On the other hand, and this was that throwback to the days of, of LearnBoost, I want to iterate very quickly. And, and people were talking about all these new things for the, for the server side, for the cloud, like Kubernetes and clusters and serverless. But I almost had to embark on a harder quest there to even just put that page into a server and put it online, especially for a front-end dev. Uh, and, and if you think about the early days of a startup, just like getting content out is so important. It felt like a really, really heavy lift. So that's where Vercel kind of really comes into play, where it's not just that we're creating the framework, we're also creating the, the platform to deploy it to that gives you all this you know, really high-end production-grade optimizations out of the box and really go at the heart of what the customer wants to solve, which is putting a product or putting content online. Mm. That's awesome. Um, so so Vercel, uh, was Vercel part of your thought pattern when you were doing this discovery work um, or did it kind of emerge naturally um, as a as a next step after you build the, the framework, you need the platform to deploy it on? Yeah, the, the biggest thing for me was real time. So uh, my my most popular framework before I started Vercel was was one that you mentioned, Socket.io. And in my entire life, I was I was fascinated by this idea of just conveying data in real time, no wait, no latency. So I knew that I wanted to do something to make real time possible. In the first incarnation of what I created, I called real time global deployments which is this idea of you have some code, you you enter a command, you press enter, 
And not only do you get your result online within seconds, you also get the feedback in real time about its evolution and deployment process. So I think I started more so with a theme. I didn't know exactly what what the product would be. There was definitely some soul searching there. And you mentioned the Next.js experience because I didn't really know that Next.js was going to become as big as it, it became so quickly when I first created it. It was, it was solving an internal pain point. It was solving that pain point of, we just want to use React. We're like, okay, we're going to create a business on top of like this. And like it's going to be like... Uh, this framework is going to be adopted by all the major Fortune 5,000 companies. It was more like, okay, like we have to get that page online. Um, but it certainly became a focus once we started getting that incredible response from the market. And then the soul searching of also realizing that, you know, even for myself and throughout our career and the kind of people that we recruited, Frontend is really where we could make a difference in the world. And I think the other part of timing with the market is that I think in the market as well, Frontend was the, the area that was more ripe for disruption as well because so many amazing services have been created for, for the API economy and the global backend. Like Stripe, Twilio, Sangre, all these things, like Headless CMS were already on the way and Frontend was the big opportunity. So that, that was kind of the most unexpected piece of the journey. That's awesome. Um... I, I want I want to shift focus for for a second and you know talk about how how do you get um, Next.js and Vercel into the hands of of the actual people who are using it um, and a lot have been said about product led growth um, companies want to get there a lot of others talk about it but in Vercel it's, it's real um, how how you made it work and you know could you talk a little bit about uh, that process here? For sure. I think there's many, many components to it. I'll start with open source, I think perfectly embodies this product-led growth idea, right? Like just like HashiCorp and Terraform or Vercel and Next.js, I don't have to, you know, advocate strongly for Next.js in the sense of like, it's there and you know that it's the right solution for your problem and you just clone it or add it as a dependency, and you just start using it. When we first announced Next.js, it went to the very top of Hacker News and the very top of Twitter instantly because it resonated so strongly with something that people were looking for. What I couldn't anticipate at the time was that it was going to resonate so strongly with enterprises. Mm. So the largest sites on the internet started porting to Next.js mm. almost from the outset. And I was like, okay, we're... You know, we're like a three, three, five people team at the time. So there's something definitely there around product-led growth when you have that kind of incredible product market fit. And I think open source and communities definitely help a ton. Um, but obviously, there's also the fact that, you know, you have to be conscious about understanding the strengths of that product-led growth because you can't just take it for granted. One of the things that we learned was... Next.js was being adopted a ton uh, in the context of e-commerce, in the context of I have to make my uh, storefront load faster. I have to make it more personalized. I'm decoupling a monolith and uh, or I'm, I'm outgrowing uh, some smaller solution for e-commerce. And I have to 
take this problem more seriously as my traffic increases. So we were very, uh, we, we listened. We were uh, very much responding to that positive trend that we're seeing. And we started creating, for example, templates, content, solutions that spoke to that use case, that spoke to that industry vertical that was gravitating naturally towards us. So a lot of this is not just pushing your product, it's listening to that feedback and understanding the use cases and, and understanding where it resonates the most. In fact, much of this period of our sale was that focusing. You know, if you really go back in time, like Time Machine on our website, you realize that we're like talking very broadly about deployment first. Like we're going to deploy everything. And then we started focusing more on like, okay, like this uh, serverless deployment. And then even more uh, focus on like, okay, this front-end framework first serverless deployment. And then, okay, but what do I do with it? What What is the front-end? Oh, it's a storefront. It's a media site. It's a news site. It's a marketing site. It's this example of a SaaS product. This is this dashboard product. So a lot of it was sort of focusing on that. But then the other thing is like complementing the sort of all the necessary teams in our company around getting this to market, mm. whether it's RevOps, customer success, product advocacy, and DevRel. So we built out all those functions over time to really start to capitalize on, on the product-led growth and, and complement it as well with, with the outreach to, to get the product into places where it currently is not. Sound, sounds like it's easy. Uh, you, you, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a thousand-step program. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One of the things I'd like to point out is, um, and, and, and uh, I came across an article the other day that, that perfectly summarized um, what, what I think product-led growth needs as a, as a critical ingredient, which is a spontaneous aha moment, a spontaneous delight. And I think it cited examples like Canva and, and, and others were like, or Shopify where like three clicks and you have a storefront. I think something that's not easy, but we made easy is that we kind of gave you that one, two, three, or sometimes it's like two click aha moment for a product that is quite technical, right? Like this involves, there's a source code repository somewhere. There is a structure to the project. There is a framework in place. There is, TypeScript code, there's like there's quite a few things here that are, yeah, you can consider quite technical. But we streamlined that importing and onboarding process, as well as shaping the constraints of the platform from mm. you know auto detection to shaping the framework in the right direction to make it globally deployable to error messages and sweating those details and 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 a lot of work went into like this specific areas of the product that really led to that, you know, oh yeah, it's, it's easy. It's like, of course, like just people recommending it to one another and like, or going online within seconds. Um, but uh, especially on the infrastructure side too, it's like, it's so demanding. Like I remember the early days, you know, we'd have a spike of deployments because I remember schools would teach our, our, and talk about, you know, open source led. We started noticing a lot of, uh, online schools or, or hacker boot camps would teach Next.js. And then a classroom would all start to deploy and it would have a spike of deploys. And then it was it was in the hundreds, right? Like now we do millions awesome. a week. 
Um, but that would be a, a concern, right? Like we didn't expect that many deploys at once. And like, so, so getting the infrastructure to that point was also uh, one of those not so easy, but hugely rewarding because the way that I call it as a metaphor these days is that you're kind of building an engine and it's, it's just growing. It's doing the work for you, even when you go to sleep. Obviously, there's ops involved and things like that. But I always had that mindset of I need to create something that's so streamlined, easy to use, and automated that I don't need to hold hands for people to adopt this platform. Love it. It, it actually, you're, you know, the first thing you mentioned was that you think open source uh, embodies PLG uh, or, you know, at least puts you in the game if PLG is, yes. a, is, a, uh, is a priority. And it reminds uh, reminds us of uh, something that Shai Bannon said on a pro- you know from Elastic, the founder of Elastic, who joined us on the podcast um, several episodes ago. And he talked about in his mind, like the real benefit of open source is amazingly fast uh, feedback loops yeah. with users. And uh, and and in order, it sounds like you've spent so much time thinking about how to streamline and craft every element of the experience of using both Next.js and Vercel to, to keep it so simple that, yeah, you can, you know, you can, you can, uh, um, manage this product led growth. Um, and obviously it hasn't been easy, but for the user, it feels easy. And I guess yeah. that, that's the key. So I want to also ask you not only about the user, but the budget holder. Um, cause with a lot of our companies that have been successful with open source products, it's still a challenge um, to convert, you know, open source usage to revenue somehow. Um, and oftentimes in companies, it's, it's sort of like a different, the user and the chooser are different, uh, different personas. Um, and, and you, you sort of have to figure out how to win the hearts and minds of both in order to, um, not only have a successful open source, but also have a successful business around that open source. Um, any any thoughts there on on what you guys have done? It's obviously working really well for you at Vercel. I'm just curious how how you've made that happen. For sure, one of the things that's been really helpful there is that we have a lot of clarity around the fitness function of our product. And I mentioned this in in a blog post recently. We have a target customer that is our developers that choose us, for example. But we're very mindful that that customer also has a customer. So there's a nested customer there. And that's the visitor of their product. There's someone that's going to go and visit that site that they're building and make some sort of transaction. Usually it's a commercial transaction because we're all in business, right? Yep. And it's a sign-up. They're converting for a service. They're upgrading something. They're selling an NFT these days. They're selling some digital good. Who knows? They're... Uh, or selling some retail brick and mortar, they're selling groceries. So I think what really uh, set us apart, literally from day zero, we're very lucky that when I created Next.js, I said, I I called it a minimalist framework for server-rendered applications. I had these ideas in mind of like, it has to scale. It has to be good for SEO. It has to be snappy for loading performance. So keeping that in mind that you have to deliver for the business ultimately allowed us to create a platform, Vercel, that truly amplifies what the open source product is capable of. When people choose it, it's because it's literally going to make them faster to deliver their site, 
faster in order to convert. So for example, I was I was cite an example of a, an e-commerce customer that rewrote in Next.js and Vercel, kept the site the same and lifted sales by 20%. Mm. Um, and when you start speaking in terms of that value, the conversation becomes a lot easier, right? Because you start thinking like, is it my business to try to scale this infrastructure, to try to speed up this side and deliver it at global scale? And certainly you can do that. And this is the beauty of, of Next.js and open source is that the pie is gigantic. We have, we have customers all over the world, some of which use Vercel, some of which, you know, maybe deployed on a legacy on-prem internal network. And, that, and that's totally okay. So keeping that in mind that Vercel acts as an amplifier and makes your business more efficient and delivers for your end user were some of the things that kept us in line and, and, and have, have allowed our, our business to flourish. Well, speaking of your of your customers, the developers, um, one thing that Vercel did really well or is doing really well is engaging with the developer community. <clears throat> you have more than 115,000 followers on Twitter. That was a few days ago, so perhaps that's that's a little bit higher. Um, and, and you had more than 50,000 participants in your conference. Is that something, you know, do you actively trying to do? And perhaps how did you get there as, as a lot of companies are hoping to build that community one day? I really think it's, uh, it's about an exchange of value and creating positive value for the world. I always talk to our folks that work on developer advocacy and experience at Vercel. It's like, you know, we got to be very honest. We got to be very transparent. We got to create a value for the world. We got to, uh, this is, you've probably seen us that we, I love React. I'm literally a React diehard. And yet I learned Svelte recently. And I also advocate for it because it has incredible capabilities for, for those that are not familiar. Svelte is very similar spiritually, spiritually with React, but has a different syntax, has different optimizations, has different constraints. So I've always been very open-minded and, and I've always sought to teach people that, and I, I'm a true believer that education is the best kind of marketing. It creates a very positive, uh, some value creation game for everybody involved. And I try to spend a lot of time teaching people about how others are succeeding with with technology and with our products, what I've what I'm learning about and what I'm curious about. And it's happened very organically from that point on that folks seek to learn and and therefore follow. I, I think this is very broadly applicable. Like whenever you find something that's genuinely interesting or novel, you want more of that. So you follow. If you find an author that you like, you buy more books. If you find a blog that gives you a lot of knowledge, you subscribe to their newsletter. So I think uh, it, it always comes back to that education piece. It's awesome. Um, you also you, you, your your next JS uh, annual conference clearly has been a, has been a success. Can you talk about that? Why you for sure? It? Yeah. Uh, I've always been a huge fan of conferences. We're doing them since the very, very, very early days. I think there is very clearly, uh, you call it the, the feedback loop of open source. I think there is a tremendous feedback loop that happens uh, whenever you get in person, whether uh, purely in person, but virtually online or hybrid or however it is. And again, it's an education event. It's You can teach people how to do really 
incredible things, uh, many of which are completely new to them. So there's a, this element of surprise. I think what we did extremely well with Next.js.conf was realizing that the audience is very much a global audience and everyone wants to tune in from wherever they are in the world. And we created this virtual event that uh, gets you know streamed once a year and, and it's been a tremendous success. And uh, we've been joined by tens of thousands of developers, which is really incredible. Uh, as well as the, the companies that are building on top of Vercel, our partners and our customers that, you know, uh, have sent online dozens of engineers uh, that that work at their companies to to join us and learn more. And um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's one of the things that I consider now to be uh, the signature Vercel and XJS um, ingredients. Well, let's hope you're you're. I think you're planning a, a, a hybrid uh, conference yes. in October in in person and online. And let's hope the in person part can take place that that would be really be fantastic yeah i'm very excited um so uh you know what everything sounds amazing uh but we we all know that uh, growth um when you're building a company that's growing fast uh and as as achieved as much success as you guys have it's not always a straight line up and to the right there are challenges along the way um and you know, just curious if you'd share with us um, what it's been like to grow as fast as you've been growing, and how you've how you've managed to deal with with some of the pressures. I'm sure you feel uh, in various parts of the organization as a result. Yeah, for sure. W- one of the things that I think we got right is that we're very diligent about raising money whenever we're very confident about our next step. One of the Keeper requisites for me was early on. I wanted to make sure that that engine worked really well, not only in the product market fit side of things, but also on the infrastructure side. So we've been growing a lot, but the system has been scaling really well. So on the on the software side, it's been you know it's been, obviously it's been hard, but it's been incredibly rewarding to watch our traffic grow like it has. Our number of deployments we recently announced. 1 million deploys a week. And by the time all the announcement from the marketing side was wrapped up and the tweet was out, we're already at 1.25 million <laughs> deploys a week. So it was like, okay, cool. Good problems to have. Um, but on the on the people side, it's been, uh, for me, a completely no- novel challenge, right? Like we, we scaled uh, not only, you know, the traffic and all those things, but we scaled the human side of things. Like we're, we're up to two, 270 colleagues at Vercel right now. So the, the, that has come with interesting new challenges. Like there was an original set of folks that created a lot of the uh, uh, early ideas and early infrastructure. And now they're met by folks that sometimes have like twice their experience and are uh, specialists in, in a particular domain. And how do you, you know, get them to uh, build new relationships and new partnerships and and uh, scale the internal knowledge and incorporate new knowledge. Those have been fascinating things that I think we're, we're handling really well. And we're building a, a culture that's very positive, inclusive. Um, folks want to work at Vercel day in and day out and, and enjoy it. And uh, we continue to invest in our roots of open source. I mentioned with projects like Turbo, Svelte, 
uh, joining Vercel. And uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a great journey. Super cool. Also, one thing that's popping up more recently um, is the growth of uh, Web3 or the crypto universe and it's uh, how it's taken to Vercel. Um, That must be kind of both exciting, interesting and a little scary. Maybe you could chat about what you're seeing there. Yeah. One of the things that I was recently sharing with the team is our mission is to make the web faster and I think to make the best possible web you know, we're going to have to seek the whatever frontier the web goes toward. And I think the Web3 frontier is very real. It's happening. One thing that's been really rewarding to see is that this new set of creators and developers that are building on top of this decentralized blockchains are by and large choosing Vercel as the default software stack in order to connect to the broader web world. So we're, we've basically become the front end layer, the entry point into a lot of these decentralized universes. And uh, to just to give you a couple of examples, uh, Snoop Dogg recently launched an NFT of his album and he chose a platform that is a customer of Vercel to, to do this. And the the strengths of Vercel really came into play. The, the traffic spike was just incredible. <laughs> like, because there were, the, so first of all, there was a countdown to a listening party of his new album. So you could imagine everyone just like frantically joining at a very specific time and then refreshing the page and whatnot. API calls galore. And then at the end of the, the listening party, which by the way, was amazing. I, I'm not a huge fan of that kind of music, but the experience, and this is what I give the Web3 people so much credit, is like the experiences they're creating are so novel, fun, intriguing, entertaining. So I, I, I get hooked into the, the, the listening party and then they drop a thousand NFTs. So boom, another massive traffic spike of GraphQL API calls hitting, hitting our, our infrastructure and and this is like what what Vercel really allows is that there was a small team of prolific product thinkers that are thinking up these new experiences around distributing information, distributing ownership, uh, creating these innovative, fun experiences, designing them, and then we've taken care of all the you know heavy lifting. Um, so super excited about what this new world is doing. Obviously, uh, you know we're we're there to help every developer with with any innovations that are bringing to market. But this is this is truly new and exciting. That is incredible. And Snoop Dogg, thanks you. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Guillermo, this is this has been really really fascinating. We're we're gonna move you to the hot seat and go to the speed round. Um, so just say the first thing that comes to mind um, when. Uh, when we ask you questions, so so what book or article would you recommend to founders? Anything that you you've read that you think is is really good? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, a book uh, I'm reading right now: uh, the autobiography of David Goggins. Uh, he's a Navy SEAL. Uh, very fascinating life. Very fascinating guy. Uh, that's what I'm reading right now. Awesome. We'll check him out. What advice would you give to young Guillermo? Double down. I mentioned earlier that part of the journey for me was discovering or rediscovering and doubling down on what I'm uniquely good at and passionate about. When I started LearnBoost, 
yes, I was passionate about education, but I was passionate about developer education. I actually wasn't passionate about education in general because I dropped out of high school to move to the US. Oh, wow. So it was kind of contradictory, right? Like, oh, the high school dropout is going to create a tool for, for traditional <laughs> education. <laughs> so, so double down more quickly, but I'm happy with how it's turned out. As you should be. Okay, last one. If not Vercel, what would you be doing right now? I had a fork in the road uh, at a young age. I was either going to be a nuclear physicist or I was going to get I was going to go full time and do engineering. So I'm really, really, really excited about uh, new forms of energy and uh, nuclear power and things like that. So I think there's a world where I'm definitely doing that. Well, I, uh, if you move to a nuclear uh, scientist, I hope you're not going to become you're not going to help people uh, make that easier. That's uh, no, no. That's make it more, safer. That, make that, it that, safer. Okay, okay. I'll take that. I'll take that role. <laughs> make it easier to make it safer, perhaps. Okay. <laughs> Somewhere in the multiverse, there's a Guillermo who is uh, wearing a white hat and yes. making, making nuclear technology safer. Awesome. Well, you're you're uh, uh, you may not be making nuclear technology safer, but you are making the web faster um, and building incredible open source and commercial businesses in the process. Um, we're super excited to be involved uh, at, at Vercel and uh, Guillermo really want to say thanks for sharing your story here today. Um, so much to learn and uh, so excited for your future. Thanks so much. Thank, thank you, folks. Thank you. You've been listening to Founder Real Talk. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app to help others find this podcast. If you have any questions you'd like us to ask our guests or founders you'd like to hear on this podcast, feel free to email us at founderrealtalk at ggvc.com. Our theme song is by Grapes. GGV Capital is a global venture capital firm that invests in local founders. As a multi-stage, sector-focused firm, GGV focuses on seed to growth across consumer, social, and internet, enterprise cloud, and frontier tech. The firm was founded in 2000 and manages $6.2 billion in capital across 13 funds. Past and present portfolio companies include the likes of Affirm, Airbnb, Alibaba, Didi, Grab, Hellobike, HashiCorp, House, Keep, Namely, New, Opendoor, Peloton, Poshmark, Slack, Square, Wish, and many more. The firm has offices in Beijing, San Francisco, Shanghai, and Silicon Valley. Learn more at ggvc.com or follow us on Twitter at, at GGV Capital or GGV Capital on WeChat. 